go home after Barbara plays. What kind of what kind of deal is that? You know. Hey, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. Before I begin, I want to take a moment um, to let uh, Tammy and Sherry know what a great job they did. It, yeah. Cam Jam, good job. They they say they're not leaders, and the only reason they say that is they're too busy serving, you know. But they did a great, I think, are they, yeah, girls, good job. Uh, tell you what, don't come into work until 8 o'clock tomorrow, okay? <laughs> Just take, take the morning off, you know. <laughs> great job. I was really, really proud. Well, listen, I'm glad that you're here. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to go with me to the Old Testament Psalm, a marvelous Psalm, Psalm 1. We were going to be in Philippians. We will next week. Actually, this is kind of, you may not come back next week because I'm planning on doing the whole chapter in one sermon. And most folks say I can't even do two words in, in the length of a sermon. But we're, we're going to really do an old, a whole chapter, Lord willing, next week. But I want to take you to a wonderful psalm. As you know, we're in a short series on the subject of peace. And this morning, I want to take a few moments to talk to you about a man at peace. Okay, now... When I say man, I'm using that in the generic sense because that's what Psalm 1 does. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 1, we think David, not sure, that's what he does. Uh, he uses the word man. But what I want you to know is while the emphasis will be on men today, of course, that's what the psalm does, the, the principles apply to everybody, okay? Ladies, it's going to apply to you. If you're a single mother, a head of your household, certainly it'll apply to you, okay? So there's some application to all of us, even though uh, the, the, inf the main emphasis may be on, on the man, okay? Psalm 1 is an incredible psalm of instruction. Uh, to me, out of all the psalms, I love Psalm 23. I use that an awful lot in memorial services. I don't know, however, that there's a better psalm that breaks down and just gives out instruction better than this gateway psalm. It's the one that opens the gate of all the 150 psalms that we enjoy. This is instructional. It's so it's called didactic, which means it just, it just one and two and three and four lays out instructions to us on, first of all, how we can identify a man at peace, but then also how we can become men at peace. And I'll I'll try to do that, okay, this morning. Now, in the psalm, we find a striking contrast. It's a contrast between a man who is at peace, a man who is blessed, a man who is happy at life, okay, and then a man who the Bible describes, Tom doesn't describe, the Bible describes a man that is wicked, a man that is without God. So therefore, a man, while he may not even be necessarily aware of it on the surface, a man who really is not at peace. He's at war with God. He's at war with himself because he really has no time for God. Now, the writer here is not referring to a murderer or a rapist or anyone that we would describe as evil. We, we see so much evil in our world today. And so if we were to take out a sheet of paper and if I were to ask you, write down your definition of an evil person, you would write down the things that we see on TV and 
here uh, on TV all, all day long, but the writer's not doing that, okay? He's writing simply to, about someone who leaves God out of his plans, out of his life, out of life decisions. He just has no room for God. And I want to tell you, that's heart, it ought to break our heart because I want to tell you some of the best men I know, some of the best daddies I know, some wonderful, wonderful husbands I know are just not God men. They, they love their wives. They love it far better with their children than I. But they leave God out of their life. They leave God out of their plans. And when they're trying to make decisions, they just don't entertain thoughts of God. And while we might say, well, that's a good man. He just needs Christ. God says that's a wicked man. And that's difficult, isn't it? Huh? Because we all know people that are good, but they don't love God. So therefore, the Bible describes them as evil. Okay. However, the man at peace, the, the happy man, makes room for God. Okay. His life is regulated. It's certainly not perfect, of course, we know that. But his life is regulated around God and God's principles. He's at peace in the midst of storms in his life because he knows that God is really controlling his life. And he knows, as I said last week, everything that comes into his life is coming through, is coming through the filter of God. So God is the filter of his experiences. And it's God's peace that regulates his life knowing that God is doing something on a larger scale of his life. And I want to tell you, people, men, ladies, that's one thing that as a believer in Christ, uh, we have to understand. That while, and we've talked about it in, in Romans, where tribulations come, in that moment of pain, in the moment of heat, it can be very painful. But as we are followers of our Christ, we know there's a bigger picture going on. There's a larger thing, and I'll even mention a, a transcendent cause. So if, if something's happening in your life today that you may not be able to understand or get your head around and all those kind of things, uh, just rest in this, that, that there's something larger going on that maybe a, a week or two or six or eight or months or years down the road, then you might see some of the fruition of that. You with me on that? Because that's very important because we could be waylaid on Mondays, you know, and we can quit on, on Fridays and we can want to throw in the towel on Saturdays, but we don't do that. Perseverance of the saints doesn't allow us to do that because God is preserving the saints for something larger and that's called a transcendent uh, cause, okay? All right, let's stand. Let's read this wonderful, wonderful psalm and, and let me tell you how I, I want to approach it. Okay? I, I, by the way, if you've been here as long as Rich has, you know, Rich is like 60 now, and so um, he's probably heard uh, me preach on or teach on this psalm several times. I always try to, there's always so much more in it, so this is a little different than some, but I love it. We ought to do, we ought to take this psalm once, we ought to do this on Jan, first Sunday in January every year, you know, that's how instructional it is, okay? All right, verse 1, 
How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In whatever he does, he prospers. And here's the contrast. The wicked, those who leave God out, maybe not bad people in and of themselves, but they leave God out. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff, which the wind drives away, blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, I love you. I love the psalm. I pray, God, that I can um, uh, adequately uh, break it down in, in a way that we can uh, pull from it today uh, maybe some identifiers for our life and then maybe some challenges to build into our life. I want to thank you for these that come early every Sunday. God, it's a growing, it's a growing part of our church and a very strategic, important part of Indian Springs. And I thank you for their faithfulness. God, I, I pray you'll help us today as we try to dig it out in Christ's name. Amen. All right, thanks. Be seated. Now, here's my, I'm going to give you two questions, okay? Here's question number one. How can you and I identify a person who is at peace? That's our first question we want to deal with. Can you and I look at someone and evaluate them properly, okay? What is it that we can use to help us identify a man, woman, child, a man who is at peace? Are there some markers or some stakes? And the answer to that is yes. I don't know. When I was in college, I worked on a surveying crew, and uh, I, uh, I wasn't I, I was the guy that took the stake and the hammer, and the guy said, nail it, and I dug it into the ground. It was really an important job. I had a hammer, I had a stake with a flag, and, and you know, and we would lay those flags out, and that would be the direction. And, uh, and so, are there some stakes? Are, so, are there some, some flags that can help us determine whether a man is really a man of peace? Now, Gang, you and I can't judge hearts. It's not our, it's not our jo job to judge anybody, but certainly we cannot judge hearts because you and I don't have the capacity to look inside of a person. But there are some markers about the life of a man at peace that I believe we can look at and we can use it to ask ourselves, okay, is this indicative of my life? Okay? Now, I want, you, I want us to begin in verse 3 because these... This is where the, the markers begin, okay? Look at verse 3. Number one, someone who is at peace will be someone who is marked by stability. The Bible says a tree firmly planted. You got that? You see, a man who's at peace is a man that's not going to be tossed about by every contrary wind that blows. 
And beloved, there are a lot of winds blowing in our nation today, okay? This is going to be a guy who has some, 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 we talked about anchors last week, anchors of the soul. This is a guy who has some anchors down. There's some stability to his life. And when all these different winds begin to blow, they're, they're, they're immune to them or they're not overwhelmed by the winds. This is a guy that will guard his passions. This is a guy who will guard his temptations, will even guard his desires, and he'll filter those drives and those desires through God's will. And get this. This is a guy, and you need to probably write this down, men. A man of stability is a man that will set his desires up against his responsibilities. You got that? He will take his desires and he'll set those desires, passions, whatever that is, whatever his delights are, whatever drives him, he will set them up against his responsibilities and his responsibilities are those things that God has placed into his care. He'll understand or she will understand what his or her primary role is. Guys, your primary role is to provide security and significance to those whom God has placed under your charge. Sometimes we, we say, you know, oh, John. By the way, I'm glad you're married, John, you know. He put on Facebook, I got married. Well, he's been married for 1,500 years. I'm just, uh, my wife said, John got married. And I said, really? I said, what's well, about time, you know? But someone might look at John and say, oh, John, he's just a settled guy. He's settled in life. That's what it means to be at peace. He handles what comes. He trusts God all the way. And he knows that God's call is to be a man of faith in every season of life, knowing that at the right season... Fruit will be produced. Gang, listen to me. Not every season of your life, not every season in a church life, is there going to be fruit. And so, but it's always in season to be faithful, even if it's not always in season to be fruitful. You with me on that? There are times when it gets a little dry, doesn't it? There are times when it rains all the time. There's times that, that the seasons change. The call of God for a man of stability is to be faithful in all seasons, knowing that at the right season, something's going to be produced out of his life. Let me give, give you a little example of that. Years ago, as we were uh, evaluating our church and summer, and, and uh, you know, we, we made the decision that because we knew June is incredibly busy, okay? Uh, we have Camp Jam, and right on the heels of that, we have VBC. We have all these different things going on. We knew that June was going to be incredibly busy. We decided that in July until mid-August, we would just kind of kick back and not do anything. Well, when you grew up like I grew up, or where I grew up, and if you grew up in the Baptist thing, you know, when you start calling off... Winston, that was even when I think back then maybe we were having Sunday night service. We canceled it and canceled Wednesday. You'd have thought I'd become a heretic to some, you know. Uh, and it was not easy. It wasn't easy for us to make it. 
but it wasn't for easy for others to, to say, um, uh, well, I don't even want to go on Wednesday. In fact, let me tell you, I used to get up and, and come to church and sit in my office until, you know, until 7.30 so I could go home and feel like I haven't just totally abandoned God, you know. Well, what we learned was that in July to mid-August is really not a fruitful season. June is fruitful and tiring. But July, so, so we learn the season. And if you look at church life, there's seasons. And look at your life, there's seasons. And what God has called us to be is to be faithful in every season because there'll be a fruitful season coming. And that's marked by stability, a tree firmly planted. There's an anchor there. You with me? All right, secondly, look at verse 3. Not just stability, but vitality. His leaf does not wither. Man of peace means that he won't wilt. He won't crawl up and shrink up and die when storms and challenges come. A lot of guys just begin to wilt away and they become passive in their roles that God has entrusted to them. Our ladies become passive in the role that God has entrusted to them and they just become wilted, see? A man of peace rejects passivity. Now, I want you to listen to me. If there's one telling mark on families today, it is that the leader of the family, whether it may or fit, whatever that leader, whoever that leader is, that instead of staying active in the leadership role, they just become passive. Many husbands and dads, Reject the leadership role today that God has given to them. And when they reject those leadership roles, all of a sudden chaos begins. And that's what we're seeing. The expressions of young people today are are expressions of a mom, perhaps a dad more, that has become passive in their leadership roles. Leadership's not easy, Tammy, Sherry. It's not easy, is it, you know? But it's required, and, and, and when we just let that slide and we become passive, then all kinds of chaos begin to take place. They just wilt like a leaf without water, and in the homes, especially spiritually, which is the most important, which I understand is the hardest. It's hard, for, I don't know why, but it's hard for a guy to say, family, tonight, no TV, we're having a devotion. I know first if you said that, they'd probably have a heart attack and just faint right away. But it's not easy to do that. It was Paula that kept saying, Tom, now we gotta have we need to have a family time. We need to have a devotion time. And and she was the one that kept saying, Son, you've got to you've got to do this, Tom. And I said, I I'd rather throw baseball with Jeff, you know. And I said, How do I don't I don't even know how to do that? And so she went and found this book. I told a young couple the other day, I said, a little book called Little Visits with God. And we use that book over and over and over again because it was something that I had to do, and you can't become passive in that. And it seems to be that's what's happening, you know. As a result, instead of peace, the world, their world, is rocked by tension and turmoil. And at some point when tensions and turmoil uh, get so pressure-packed, there's an all-out war. And oftentimes, it's simply that they would not step up, reject passivity, 
And so they just idly sit by and they watch life pass by and their kids grow up and then at some point their kids rebel. I was, I was thinking about a friend of mine uh, that I so dearly love that uh, is not strong in his relationship to Christ, even if he has a relationship to Christ. Precious kids, uh, 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 just a wonderful little boy and a darling little girl. And in my heart one day, I thought, you know, one of these days, that precious, tender little girl and that young, energetic young boy is going to grow up and they're going to become so hard simply because there is no godly influence, active godly influence. There's just a passivity. Let me give you a verse. Write down Proverbs 25, 28. And listen to this verse. Like a city that is broken into and without walls, which means security, okay, is a man who has no control over his spirit, okay? So a man at peace, first of all, will be represented with stability. He'll have vitality, but then also productivity. Notice the Bible says in verse 3, in whatever he does, he prospers, okay? Now let's define the word prosper because it really has nothing to do with money and it really has nothing to do with social prestige, okay? It doesn't also mean to have your act together or that everything is operating at peak efficiency because the fact of the matter is none of us really have all of our acts together, right? And none of us are operating at peak efficiency. So what does the word mean? Well, it's a word which means to push forward, okay? And the idea is this. This guy who is at peace, this guy who is living a blessed life, is a man who will lead out, lead courageously, even if there is an element of fear to it. Someone's got to lead, gang. Sometimes men abdicate that, so their wives have to step up. That's not God's design. If you're a single mom, you've got to lead. Unfortunately, Something happens, so there's not a, a, a man there to do that. But the fact of the matter is someone has got to lead, and that person who has got to lead has to lead courageously, even if it's fearful, even if there is a wind in your face, not at your back. You still got to lead. And I said earlier that you've got to come to know there's a larger cause than the moment confronting you and the challenge facing you. And that's why I brought in earlier this transcendent cause. When you lead courageously, you're leading maybe not even for that moment. You're leading for a moment yet to come. And ultimately, when that moment ultimately comes, It'll be for God's reward at the, perhaps at the end of your life when you stand before the righteous judge and the judge will reward you on that day. I, I want to tell you, I, this is not selfish, but I, part of my motivation for serving is I want an attaboy. You know, when I was in the business world and, and, uh, and I was in sales, man, I, I, you know what I wanted my boss to say every once in a while? Attaboy, Tom, and 
he would send out these little notes. It was got to be silly. Everybody started laughing about it. Uh, he would send out little sticker things, attaboy. Of course, everybody started laughing about it, but you know what the matter is? The fact of it is, I wanted a sticker. You know, it's like in school, the, little, the teacher would give you these little sunshiny things, you know? It's amazing, 25, 30-year-old men need little stickers, you know? <laughs> Why? Because we need attaboys, you know? We need to know that the master is happy. And I want to tell you, folks, I want, he- I want to hear it. I just don't want to sense it. I want to hear it. I want Jesus to look me in the eye and say, boy, Tom. And if I know that's going to happen, then I can step out sometimes, even in my fear, and lead courageously. Now, if you look at verse 4, when you read the psalm, you find that the person who has left God out of their life doesn't have that to look forward to. They're unstable. Man, they're driven by every wind so they can't make a stand. They have no God authority in their life, so they just become passive. And they don't reproduce their character. They just perish. And they are no more. I want to read to you something a, a pastor wrote. And a pastor, he, he had been a pastor of, of a church for a long time. And he said this, A lot of people have, have come through my life in church. I think of the godly ones often, but there are some that I never think about. They're just gone. Man, I, 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 my 19th year, oh, I think from time to time, some of those people that have passed through on their way to glory, the impacts they've made and the things they've done and the faithfulness by which marked their life. And there's times there my... In my little study, when I am praying and reading Scripture and studying for Sundays, I, I think that God places them into my mind, and I, I think about them as they pass through on their way to glory. But there are some that I never think about because they never made any kind of an impact on their church, you see. Well, I have one last question, okay? Those are the flags. Those are the surveying flags. And you need to ask yourself, how do you line up there? But there's a second question that I want to close out with quickly, okay? If I evaluate this and I say, you know, there's some areas of my life that may not match up the way I would like, or my progress hasn't been as well as I would like, is there any hope for me? Are there some steps for me? Are there some things that I can, in a practical way, build into my life that will help me, at some stage of my life, become a man of peace? And the answer is yes, primarily verse 1 and 2. Let me give those to you quickly, okay? Verse 1 tells us that a man of peace does not walk down the wrong roads. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, okay? Now, in a practical sense, gang, what that simply tells us is there are some places believers have no places being at. There are some people that we have no business listening to. You understand that? 
uh, there are some places you best, you best just not go to. And I think you need to be careful who you listen to. Some people just mouth off. And they don't know what they're mouthing off. They don't know about their own life, let alone. And then they're trying to give you direction for your own life, you see. Sometimes it's not just stepping up when you need to. It's stepping away when you need to. Uh, Joseph. What did he do? He ran from Potiphar's wife, see? And so the manner of your life, which is really what this is referencing to, means your lifestyle. And I tell you again, you ought to be careful who you listen to. You ought to be careful who you walk with. There are some roads you just don't need to walk down. This evening, Gail and I and several others are going to be going to to prison. I'm always excited when when they let me out. And uh, but you know what I found? They're good people there. They really are. Wonderful, some wonderful, wonderful Christian ladies there. You know what they did? They walked down the wrong path. They just walked and listened to the wrong people. And by God's grace, that would be us. It would be us. See, number two, not just not walk down wrong roads, but if you look at verse one, you don't stand under the wrong shadows. Look at verse one. Nor stand in the path of sinners. Now, let me tell you what that means to me. Idleness, laziness leads to wickedness. You see, when there's voids in your life, there's a danger filling up those voids with the wrong things. You remember the prodigal son? What did he do? He found himself eating hog slop when he could have been feasting at daddy's table. The Bible tells us to walk in the spirit, will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The the constant battle of the Christian life, the believer's life, is a battle between the spirit and the flesh. Isn't that right? Every day you got to decide who you're going to operate under. Are you going to operate under the flesh? Are you going to operate under the spirit daily? So folks, be careful which shadows you stand under. Not every shadow is a respite from the scorching heat of daily life or the sun. And so, how do you do this thing? Well, you, you don't walk down wrong roads. You don't stand under wrong shadows. And number three, you don't sit in the wrong chair, nor sit, he says, in the seat of scoffers. That's a, to me, it's a reference to authority. Back in those days, how they conducted their business, I guess they didn't have courthouses and and things they they would sit at the at the gate city gate the the gate of authority and that's how the affairs of life were conducted uh, psalmist is simply saying be careful whose authority you line up under and whose authority you follow and i think that's a strong admonition one of the fears that us pastors have is that people listen to us you know and um we're not always right. Uh, I'm, I'm closer right than Don is most of the time, okay? We know we're not. And it's scary to us. Because the psalmist right here says, be careful whose authority you line up under. Be sure it's a worthy authority, you see. And that's a, that's a, that's a scary thing. That's why in verse 2 he quickly adds, his delight is in the law of the Lord. and his law does he meditate day and night. Therefore, maybe it's not so much a person as it is the Bible, huh? Oh, that sounds a lot better to me, Don. You know, 
If you and I are biblical, we'll be okay. We step outside of this, we got problems. But the problem is we inflict pain on our people. Now, none of us, no man of God who has been called to pastor a church wants to inflict pain on his people, you know. So therefore, we've got to be people of the word. The Bible says we're not to love the world, never, neither the things that are in the world. It means the world system and philosophy. Now, gang, I know we've got to live in the world, and we've got to navigate through the world for sure. But I think it's important for us, we have to realize that we're really not citizens here. We're citizens of heaven, see? So we navigate, we're pilgrims here as we work our way through until we get to Zion, okay? Now, let me show you something uh, as I close out here. Um, the word scoffer in verse 1 is an interesting term, okay? The word in Hebrew means to twist away from the light. As I was trying to trace out the word this week, what's interesting is one of the commentators that I was reading and one of the, the word studies I was looking at uh, likened this word to a screech owl. How many of you know what a screech owl is? Uh, how, how many of you, uh, how many of you ever been out in the woods uh, late at night or early in the morning? I, I, that means uh, I, confession is good for us. I'm afraid of the dark. I, mean, I love to hunt, but I'm afraid of the dark. And I, uh, I go into my deer stand before daylight because I like to see the sun come up. But I got to tell you, I run an awful lot. I carry two flashlights because I just got the willies. Every time I look around, there's some kind of big bear just chomping at me, you know, and there's a mountain lion just licking its lips. And I run, and once I get up in my stand, I'm, I'm okay, you know. Well, you know, from time to time, I'm walking down this road with all these bright lights shining everywhere, panting in my heart, trying to get there, and I hear a screech owl. Woo! Son, you talk about scary. And by the way, I don't stay in the woods after dark. When it starts getting dark, I say it's too dark. It's too late to shoot something. Uh, then, so I get out and run out of the woods at the same time, you know. He likened it to a screech owl, you know. Now, beloved, listen to me. There's a lot of screech owls out there today twisting us away from God's word or perhaps twisting God's word in a way that benefits them. And a lot of them are on TV. So you don't ever need to watch a preacher TV. You need to come here, okay? There's a lot of that screech owl junk going around today. And isn't it amazing how it's always for their own benefit, like a, a, a $65 million jet. That's going to really enhance the gospel of Jesus Christ, huh? See? So they twist, they, they're screech owls, and they scare you so that they can get what they want. Well, I mentioned to you this psalm is a psalm of contrast. On the one hand, we have this person. On the other hand, we have that person. And so why don't, me, why don't you answer this question as we close? Which one is you? Hmm? Which one do you have the desire to be? This first psalm that opens the gate of all the psalms teaches us that one leads to life, one leads to death. Choose life, dear people. You'll yield fruit in its season. Your leaf won't wither. And whatever you do will prosper.
That's what the Bible says. And when this takes place in your life, then you're going to be a person of peace. And we need that. And we should want that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I love you. I thank you that it's about the word. And if we